Treating seed this spring? AGI Storm FX brings you the ultimate innovation in seed treating for your modern-day farming operation, offering you speed, accuracy, and flexibility. With a simplified design, gentle handling, and precise performance, you can choose to pre-treat or treat your seed just in time. This season, choose the AGI Storm FX Seed Treater to keep you on schedule and ahead of the curve. Visit aggrowth.com for more information or to find your nearest dealer. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Hannah Miller. Hannah is a 26-year-old farmer running her own business on her family's 175-acre farm in central Massachusetts. She has about 500 egg-laying hens, four dairy cows to produce raw milk, and a small herd of goats who go on goat hikes with farm visitors. Hannah has a passion for working with livestock, being outdoors as much as possible, and connecting her local community to an agrarian way of life. The farm was an active dairy farm for many decades, but her family sold the cows in the late 90s, and for the last 20 years, it has more or less been a hobby farm. Many of the fields became overgrown, and the barns fell into disrepair. Hannah graduated from the University of Massachusetts in 2017 with a degree in sustainable agriculture with the goal of returning to the farm and putting it back into production. Hannah says it has been an amazing journey to watch new life breathe into the old bones of this place and to see the community rally around her desire to keep the family farm alive. You are going to love this episode and the absolute creativity that Hannah has brought to her farm and bringing a whole new life to her family's farm. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Hannah. Hello, Hannah. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to get to know you more and to get to share your story with the audience. So for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Hannah, give us your story of how you got your start in agriculture. So my name is Hannah Miller. I am a fourth generation farmer in central Massachusetts. My family has owned our farm since 1935. And for the Majority of that time, it was a dairy farm, but my family sold our crowds in the late 90s, and so for about 20 years after that, it was pretty much just a hobby farm, and we had a bunch of animals that we just enjoyed having as pets, and we made hay, but there wasn't much production agricultural happening from a farm besides that. And I went to college for agriculture and graduated in 2017 from the University of Massachusetts with a degree in ag with the goal of going back to the farm and bringing it back into production and making a living here. And so I started dabbling in a bunch of like different things that I thought I might like doing on the farm. I got chickens and cows and goats and uh, just 
tried to learn what worked well for me and what I enjoyed having here and what people in our community were looking for from a farm. And so right now I have four dairy cows that are, I milk and I sell raw milk on the farm. In Massachusetts, it's legal to sell raw milk, but it has to be sold on the farm. It can't be sold in stores or at farmer's markets. And then I have a flock of egg-laying chickens. I have about 500 of them and a small herd of goats that go on hikes with people who visit the farm. That's pretty much the, the synopsis of what I have going on these days. You were born and raised on this farm that you're in right now. That's just so great. Hannah, why was it so important for you to revive your family farm? It's funny. I hated being outdoors as a kid. I had zero interest in the farm. And luckily, my family never pressured me into being involved with the farm. And I think that reverse psychology really worked in their favor because now it's like all I ever want to do. I was planning to go to college to study social work, and I had looked at a bunch of colleges in the city in Boston. And at the time, I was working for a neighboring farm selling goat cheese. And I was sitting in a farmer's market one day, and I thought to myself, like, I could never, I could never leave the farm. Like, I would hate living in a city. I would miss the country way too much. And I kind of did a complete 180 at that point and started looking at schools that had agricultural programs, and I have not looked back. It's My entire life is farming, and I wouldn't change that for anything. That is so great. And I think it really speaks to your parents not pressuring you to be a part of the farm while you're growing up. I know myself, if I was pressured to do things as an adolescent, I definitely revolted and didn't want to do that. So sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So tell us more about why you chose the livestock that you did for your farm now. So I'm trying to think when I started out, I I started off with chickens first. I had 50 of them and then I just sold eggs in a little tiny cooler on the road. I didn't have any type of farm stand. Like the chickens work really well for me. They're really great for our land and we just never seemed to have enough eggs. So it kind of was like the the trio of things that worked well in my business. And after that, I added the goats and they are dairy goats. And I had always known that I'd wanted goats and I just never felt like it was the right time or like I was ready. And there was a point, I believe it was four years ago, three years ago, when three separate people all approached me within a matter of months asking me to take goats from them either because they were moving or they just had a couple goats that like weren't fitting into their own herds. And so I figured it was the world telling that it was time for goats. And I kind of just dove head on into that. And they are, they're all dairy breeds. And so I was milking them for a couple years, not anymore. I can talk more about that later, but the goats were a great addition to the farm as well, except for the fact that they are so mischievous and they're like always they're always causing problems, but we like having the goats here. And then I added beef cows, and that was a good introduction to having bovines on the farm. And they're, the management needs of them are totally different from the goats. And so that was a great learning experience and kind of helped me prepare for dairy cows, which was always what I wanted to have just as a personal 
passion project or the animals that I, I always knew just in my heart that I wanted to bring back to the farm. Oh, also, I raised meat chickens, which I will happily never do again. They are like gross animal on this planet. They're always looking for ways to die. Um, <laughs> and the, the demand for chicken was relatively high, but it's a. I have found that it's a type of meat that people don't want to pay a premium necessarily for. And then we also had trouble sourcing a processing place to have them slaughtered and packaged. So I happily cut that out of my business plan. And then I just added the dairy cows to my whole system this past spring. And I'm absolutely in love with them. And I'm just happy to have them here. So I've kind of settled on my three species, the cows, the goats, and the chickens. And they all graze all on pasture. And I, I farm by myself for the most part. My mom and my uncle who live on the farm will help me with things as need be. But for the most part, I'm doing it by myself. And the three species is pretty much the max for what I can handle right now. And we have a good system down with all their chores and their daily needs. So that's where, that's how I got to where I'm at these days. That's so great. And it's so great that you have tried things and have recognized that they are not for you and <laughs> have uh, moved on from them and not let it deter you from finding what does work for you and your land and what works for your business. Can you talk to us about, you know, having this land kind of sit dormant for 20 years or so and the changes that you've seen with reintroducing the different species of livestock to it? Oh, that's an awesome question. I love that. So in the 20 years that we didn't have production ag happening in our pastures, they became really overgrown with invasive plant species. We have massive amounts of bittersweet, like grapevine, poison ivy, and then an autumn olive, which grows into like these huge bushes. And they're really hard to eradicate once they have been established. And so between the three species of animals that I have now, they kind of all work really well to help with that restoration process and bring the pastures back. But cows primarily graze just on grass. And paths in between the bushes and the overgrowth, and they do a nice job just clearing the ground cover. And then I'll usually put the goats in a space after the calves have been there, and it's much easier to set up the goat fencing in the cow path that the cows have carved out amongst the bushes. And of course, goats, as you know, love to eat everything, and so they love all the invasive plants that we have here. And so they've been a huge help with the restoration process. And then chickens just, like, decimate ground at alarming rates, so they'll just clear out everything on the ground very quickly. And all of my animals are mobile, so the chicken coops are mobile, and I have a little goat house that's mobile. And so being able to move all the animals around to the various spots on our farm has been one of the best decisions that I made when investing in infrastructure because it keeps our land healthy by not having animals on one given area at all times. And then it's great for the animals too, because they always have fresh forages. Yeah, that is so great. And it's interesting, you know, to have different varieties of livestock and different species. And it's always fascinating to me. And it's probably because I wasn't ever 
shown this as a child or whatever, just watching them eat for me is like a therapeutic event. I can just sit there and I can watch a cow and I can watch a goat, like pick at all of the different things that they want to eat. And especially for goats, right? Like for people who don't have them, right? They would rather not eat grass. They would rather eat, you know, whatever else is there instead, including things that maybe they shouldn't put in their mouths once in a while. But... Yes, I find that the secret to a happy goat is a little bit of everything. Like, they'll get sick of just eating grass all the time, but then if I put them in the woods or, like, in the scrubby areas for too long, they'll get sick of that, too. So it's so cool to see, too, when they're given the choice between different types of plants, like, what each individual animal will choose to eat. It's just, I find that so fascinating. It's the coolest thing. Yeah, it's definitely something I can nerd out about for <laughs> hours <laughs> on and just watching them eat. So. <laughs> so you had mentioned before that you got out of milking your goats. What made you make that decision? So before I kind of got actively into production farming, I I have always loved dairy animals. I think that ruminants, which like cows, goats, sheep, have a four-stomach system. I think that ruminants are so cool, and I love all the dairy products. <laughs> and so I always knew I wanted to have ruminants on the farm. In my mind, I wanted to have cows and goats for milking, but I knew in theory that that probably wouldn't be possible with just me doing all the work on the farm. So because the goats kind of came into my life and they were bred. So I was able to milk them the following spring after I got them. It was a really great trial run into being like a micro dairy farmer and just getting used to the routine of having to be there twice a day, every day to milk them and learning like just about, I was selling the raw milk from the goats at the time. And it was a great way to learn all about the, the raw milk regulations and working with a milk inspector. So that worked out really well to start, but I quickly learned, and I had huge demand for the raw goat's milk as well, which was great, but I quickly learned that it was going to take a very large amount of goats to make any significant volume of milk, and I knew because of their the goats' very mischievous habits and their tendency to get out of their fencing very often that I had no interest in having a herd of 60 goats per se, and I'd much rather have like four or five dairy cows than get more milk. So that's kind of got out of that while still being able to keep the goats and have them for other purposes. So it's, in some ways, it's the best of both worlds. For sure. And Hannah, I've been sitting on my hands this entire time we're talking (laughs) to dive into what the other purposes of these goats are. So (laughs) tell us about goat hiking, what it is, and how you got the idea for it. So I'm sure that you've heard of goat yoga, right? Yes. (laughs) So goat yoga has become very popular in the last uh, five or 10 years where you can go to a farm and do yoga while being surrounded by goats. And it is best with very small baby goats because they'll jump on your back and, you know, jump all over you. And my goats are dairy goats and they are huge. And so I knew that and I had a huge, lots of people were asking me to offer goat yoga, and but I knew that it was not going to work out and would be more like goat parkour, which I didn't want happening. And I had always taken the goats out for walks on my own in the woods, and they do a great job of just staying with me and going wherever I go. They don't have to be on <laughs> leashes. 
And I thought like, hey, I've never heard of hiking with goats before. I don't know if that's because it's a bad idea or why nobody that I've heard of is doing it. But I thought I'd just try it out and see how it went. And I never would have imagined that it would become as popular as it has. Right now I have over 600 people on a wait list for our goat hikes. And a global pandemic has helped with that, certainly, and people looking to get outside and try different experiences. But it's lots of fun, and it's a great way to get people to interact more closely with animals and in an agricultural setting without just, like, going to a petting zoo. So it has been a really awesome experience that I never, ever would have, like, thought of or imagined before this. I am, like, dying. Make it 601 on your wait list right now. So Yes. If you're ever <laughs> in New England, you have to come for a goat walk. And it's just so... Like, it's fun. It's just something fun to do. And it's a new <laughs> and it's a and like you said, it's a way to get outside and connect people with nature. And I know there are people who could perhaps be rolling their eyes at either goat yoga or goat <laughs> hikes or whatever it is. But what a neat way to get people who perhaps do not have access to a farm out to a farm to see livestock in this way. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, I was one of those eye rollers to begin with too. I was like, I would never pay money to go walk with goats. Like this is a, this is a chore for me. <laughs> Otherwise I never would have thought that people would get so excited about it. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting what people will pay money for, right? And kudos to you for finding that secret sauce of whatever it is. <laughs> it's actually funny. My two goats, Kitty and Abs, they are halter trained. So they are able to walk pretty decently on their halters. And I had put just a story up on Instagram this past summer about like, anybody want to come out and take a goat for a walk? I literally had, I, I don't even know how many messages from local people in my area saying, yes, I will come walk your goat. You so. Who would have thought? Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it's hilarious. It wouldn't necessarily be a hike for where we are because we're pretty flat here. But <laughs> Well, I always tell people too, it's more like a goat stroll. It's nothing strenuous. It's very casual, but like a goat walk doesn't sound as cool. So Yes, yeah, exactly. Hiking with goats. Very neat. So <laughs> how are you marketing your farm and your products to your community? Obviously, the goat hiking took off during the pandemic when people wanted to get outside and do something. But how have you now, two years later, continued to market not only your goat hikes, but your other products that you have on your farm? So I a lot of it is just spread through word of mouth. The things that I offer are somewhat niche products or experiences. Like, of course, the goat hikes are. But then raw milk is something that, like, Usually, there's a certain type of person who's looking to hone in on their health or provide nutrients for their body in a way that is typical. And so once a few people learn about the fact that we have that for sale, it just spreads quickly through word of mouth with like-minded people and through various like Western A price chapters and like local health like Facebook groups and things like that. And then I actually... It's funny, I 
stopped using social media for about a full year last year. And everybody told me that it was going to be an awful decision because it, like, I need it for marketing and need it to spread word about our farm. But it, I actually found that it, it made no difference. And it was almost easier for me to focus on other marketing skills and avenues when I wasn't on social media. So I'm kind of going through a phase now, which it's a very good problem to have, but I'm I'm having growing pains in the way, in the sense that we have huge demand for our products and I don't have enough products or go likes to keep up with the demand. So like I said, it's a great problem to have, but it has been difficult to match the demand with things that I can offer. And so I almost don't, I don't hardly do any marketing intentionally, and it's just word of mouth is a great way um, for people to find out about our farm. So that's kind of been a challenge, but a, a good challenge to have to face. Absolutely. A great challenge to have and a big, a big problem that isn't so big when we think of it in that, <laughs> in that regard. But I find it interesting, the taking the break on social media and how that affected your business and or didn't affect your business. Can I ask why you took the break from social media? It's a combination of like just personally me being sick of like how much time I was spending on social media and like wanting to just cut myself off from it completely to not be tempted by it and and to focus more on like my in real life connections with people. But then also I knew that I didn't need it for marketing purposes. And I really wanted to focus on my, I try to send out weekly email news blasts to my farm followers. It usually ends up being like monthly email news blasts because I never get around to making one every single week. But I wanted to focus more on that and making that like really high quality content that I was bringing to people who were like very genuinely interested in our farm to the point where they wanted us to be in their inbox every week. And so being able to kind of toss social media aside and forget about that was a good way to focus all of my efforts on email marketing as well. That's so great. And can I just say like, congrats to you and kudos to you for making those connections and doing that for yourself. I know there are a lot of people who really use social media for many different reasons, but knowing that uh, making these connections to the people that you can see face to face in the capacity that you can in 2022 is, <laughs> you know, is a really great thing. And knowing that your business, you know, isn't on social media. And I think a lot of times people confuse that with their business and their business goals, and especially if they're marketing to local people. If you have that local customer base, I really think word of mouth is way more powerful than any real dance or TikTok thing that you could do. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is so great. And to focus, you know, where your attention is going to be versus kind of spreading it thin everywhere else. So that is that is a very smart decision to make. <laughs> well, and the algorithms are so crazy now on Instagram and Facebook. And like, it's just so hard to compete with like all of the trending stuff. And so the good thing about being in people's inboxes was like that I would stay there or my emails would stay there until they decided to either read them or delete them. And it, I, I was amazed at how, I mean, I'm amazed every single week at how many responses I will get directly from people to my emails. And it's 
far greater than I'll ever get with comments on social media posts. So it's definitely a much more genuine connection in that sense, too, in an online space. Yeah, for sure. Shop Wild Rose Farmer is an online store specializing in apparel and accessories for the fine farming, ranching, and homesteading community that we are blessed to all be a part of. The shop includes quality graphic t-shirts that I promise are going to be your next favorite shirt. Plus, we can't forget the tank tops to even out those farmer's tans that you're going to get from your new favorite tea. Plus, hats, crewnecks, mugs, and more that you are just going to love. Your purchase from Shop Wild Rose Farmer directly supports the Rural Woman podcast. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com shop to check out the new latest and greatest designs. So Hannah, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you have faced in terms of reviving your family farm? I think I often forget how much progress I have made. Like I look at our farm and I see all the things that I still have to do and want to do, but I'm always grateful when people will stop by and like remind me of how much they see that has changed in the last four years and like how how, you know, like the barns look great now that they're painted and the fields look great. And the anim- it's so nice to see animals back out in the pastures again. And I think, so it's just a challenge in my own brain of wanting to get all the things done right away. And just financially and energy-wise, it's a marathon and not a sprint. <laughs> and having to just decide what I need to prioritize in the moment or in this year and just like let go of the other things for the time being. Yeah, for sure. I think prioritizing is, for me, at least one of the most challenging uh, skills that I feel like I don't have a grasp on all of the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Totally. I absolutely can relate. Especially when, like, when I'm just thinking for you, having 600 people on a wait list for a goat hike, like for me, (laughs) I would be like, I'd be hiking every day. Like, pack up those animals and let's go. (laughs) But knowing that there's other things and other priorities that are probably higher than that make you a better business person than me. So (laughs) (laughs) that's questionable, but it's tough to like I, one of the things that I found is just the hardest for me in general is I don't have a farm partner. Like I have family members who will help me out, but I don't have somebody to bounce ideas off of and like commiserate on like business decisions with. And so sometimes it's tough to not have somebody who says like, Hey, you shouldn't be focusing on that right now. Like your energy is better spent doing this thing and just kind of trying to be confident in my own decisions is tough sometimes. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that and feel you on that. too. So Mm -hmm. I guess this could be a call out for a mentor or a partner or whichever for (laughs) Hannah. So (laughs) We'll leave her contact information in the show notes for you all. So (laughs) what do you think are some of the things that you are most proud of that you have accomplished since you came back to the farm? Oh, I'm really happy to have animals back on our land. Our farm is protected under an agricultural restriction. So it's a state program where basically the state bought the development rights of our farm. Like we still own it privately, but we can never sell it for 
house lots, uh, like always has to stay in agriculture for the entirety of the future. And so to see the land being utilized and optimized to its best potential is really awesome. And to see it come back to life in that regard and just being a, like a local spot in our community that people can come to for like fresh, healthy food or for an experience that's going to like bring them joy and calm in a crazy world right now. Being able to offer that to our community is a wonderful gift that I really enjoy being able to share with people. I love that. And the fact that you are under this protection gives me the warm fuzzies. And that's kind of weird to say because legal (laughs) documents shouldn't give people warm fuzzies. But the fact that you are the fourth generation on this land and that generations can continue on this land and keep it in agriculture is always a good feeling, I think, and especially for how often agricultural land is sold off for housing developments or, you know, manufacturing or whatever it is on this land. So that makes me happy. Yes, totally. <laughs> it's it's great job security for me, knowing that it'll always be land that I can farm on. And it's just nice to know that, like, the option to sell out it will never, you know, it's not an option at all. That's also a great thing. It, my grandparents put it underneath or under that protection a few decades ago. And so it was, it, in the time, it was a way for them to pay off their mortgage, but it has also certainly been just a huge benefit of peace of mind and financial security for us in the long term, too. Hannah, do you have any advice that you would like to share to anyone listening who is also a young farmer like yourself? What advice do you have to share for them? The best piece of advice that I ever got, and it's the most simple piece of advice you probably ever hear, but it the second I heard it, it like immediately transformed my mindset. I was asking a friend, like, what do I do? How do I get started? Like, I don't know. I feel like I don't know anything. I don't know what's going to work. And he told me, and he's a few years older than me and was farming on his own for a couple of years at that point. And he said, Hannah, none of us know what we're doing. We just go out there and we do it and we see what happens. And that like, just totally, it was amazing. I don't know why I think it's good advice for all of us that like, you're never going to have all the answers and you're never going to feel super confident that you're ready to start something, but just go out and do it. You're going to make mistakes and you will probably fail at least once, but you will learn every single time and you will eventually find your your right path in life. So just go out and do it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think sometimes the simplest advice is the most profound. Uh, it really sticks in your head. So that is great advice for anyone who has a dream or who has a vision of something that they want to do, but maybe are a little hesitant to uh, get started. So that's, that's great advice. Hannah, what is next for you on your farm? What are your future plans? So this is my, this will be my fifth year of having my own farm business. And I feel like I'm at the point now where I've tried out all the different animals that I wanted to try having, and I figured out which ones work well and which ones make me money. And so the goal this year is to 
make more money and try to work less <laughs> because these like 80, 90 hour weeks are killing me at this point. There, I still have a discrepancy between my, there, there is revenue and then there is profit. And while I have plenty of revenue coming in, it doesn't always equate to profit. And so trying to hone in on efficiencies and some business changes that will help me to make more money is my goal for this year. So nothing too exciting, but financial stability is what I'm going for. Aren't we all? <laughs> and lots of go hikes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No kidding. You are going to be a very fit and very tired by the end of 2022. <laughs> Hannah, my last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Oh, gosh, it's so hard to pick just one. I like I look at my life every day and I am just so thankful. And no matter how bad a day is, like I'm just so in love with the life that I get to live right now. And I think we were talking about this before we started the podcast, but like just sitting out in a field and watching animals eat is like one of the most satisfying, peaceful activities and just being like completely immersed in the nature of it and interacting closely with animals is such a gift. And I feel like that's the best part of my job. I also agree that uh, livestock is the best part about being a farmer. I don't care. Who disagrees with us? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I went to college for plant agriculture and discovered very quickly how much I was so boring and I completely hated it. And I have, I I have not looked back from having animals ever since then. (laughs) That is so great. And all of the plant people are shaking their heads at us right now. (laughs) Oh, I have a whole lot of respect for the plant people because I could never do it. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, for the folks who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? So I am back on social media. I'm on Instagram at Maplebrook Farmstead. And then my website is maplebrookfarmstead.com. And you can subscribe to the email list there. And it's mostly just stories from the farm, stories about our animals. So it's nothing salesy on the email list. And yeah, Instagram is where I'm at mostly these days. So that's a great place to connect. Perfect. And you guys can go to her website and get your name on the goat hike wait list. Maybe we can have like a rural woman podcast retreat and I'll go for hikes at Hannah's farm. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I would love that. I would move you right up to the top of the list. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, it has been so great getting to chat with you this morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and honestly, I I just know that you have inspired others to pursue their dreams on their farm. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me here, Caitlin. It's funny, like oftentimes I'll like want to listen to a podcast and like I just need something that like I can mellow out to and not have to focus on too much. And I'll always come on an episode of your show. And like every single time I am so inspired by whoever it is that's on. It doesn't matter if they are doing something that is similar to what I'm doing or not. Like I always learn something and always end up being so inspired by what I hear. So thank you so much for what you do for this community because I am very grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.